Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Welcome to episode 15, where we talk today with Nathan Downing of Silverline Knife Designs and knives and their place in your self-defense toolkit. Nathan, how are you? I'm doing well. Good. Jim, how are you? Good, good. I'm glad uh, we, we got to do this, and uh, thanks for coming on with us today. Um, I, I actually can give you a little uh, tidbit. My actual full last name is uh, Two Eagles hyphen Downing. Tell us about that. Well, I'm uh, part Ogallala Lakota, and I'm also Scotch-Irish, but I also have a little German and Castilian Spanish mixed in there, too. Gotcha. Um, my mother is, I believe she's half or a quarter a Lakota. So she, her dad was actually the, the famous painter for um, a couple of the, the March Powell uh, posters. He actually is just a famous painter in general. He also was one of the Indian chiefs in Blazing Saddles, and he also was in the movie Neighbors. He's, he's a really cool guy. And he was also a medicine man, so I mean, he, yeah, he was well, a well-versed individual. Well-versed. Good guy to know, I'm sure. So they named you Two Eagles. Did yeah. that have some kind of seasonal significant meaning, or someone... How did that uh, come about? Actually, it was that was our family last name gotcha. uh, on my mom's side. That was her maiden last name. Uh, uh, my parents decided to give me both of their last names, and I was able to take care of some of my educational stuff because of that said last name. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the cool thing, though, I can add in with that is actually it was based off the Chief Two Eagles, who was uh, one of the the actual chiefs there at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Oh, wow. And... Uh, yeah, we were able to trace them back all the way to there. So, I mean, that's kind of one cool little tidbit. Um, yeah, definitely some her history mother, there. Actually, yeah, oh, this one's also going to blow your mind a little bit. Uh, her mother was actually the German uh, part of my family, and she, her family actually helped build Mount Rushmore. Really? That was a small Yeah, they were one of the workers on that. That's so cool. Yeah, definitely. And then when it comes to my my dad's side, which is the Downing side, um, we traced our family all the way back to Scotland and Ireland, all the way back to 1642, I think, something like that. Wow. And when they first came over to the United States and basically had a family member on the Downing side there and every single... American conflict, except for Vietnam. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, and of course, Lebanon and, you know, some of the more recent stuff because my dad wanted to go into the Navy back in the 80s when I was, <laughs> before I was a, a twinkle in his eye. Yeah. As they say. Sure. And uh, me being born, he uh, didn't go into the Navy like he wanted. He wanted to be an electrician. Yeah. But that didn't happen. And he, he chose to raise me instead. So I thought that was really cool. And here you are. Silverline yeah. Knife Designs. Obviously, you design and make knives. Uh, but tell us a little bit about you, yourself, your background, your history, and how you got into making knives in the first place. Okay. Well, the first time I ever really kind of experienced any kind of metal metal smithing, blacksmithing, stuff like that was actually back when I was younger. I was probably about 15, 16, when I was working uh, in a farrier's camp uh, back in a back in the day up in Wyoming because my dad was tired of me just kind of hanging out at the house. And he's like, yeah, I want you to go I'll learn a trade, go do something. I'm like, okay, cool. So I started uh, working on a ranch. And I fell in love with uh, working with metal and made my first knife when I was up there. It was pretty cool. How old were you then? Um, I was 17. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was doing that. And then from there, kind of 
ran off and joined the Marine Corps, actually, because I always wanted to be in the military as well. So I went and did that stint. I joined the Marine Corps back in 2005, kind of right in the middle of all that nonsense. And yep. then kind of just kind of went from there, um, came to 2006, I was getting ready to deploy out to Iraq. And unfortunately, I became a diabetic. Um, the pre-deployment shots that they gave me were a little, I guess, a little too aggressive on my system. I had an antibody issue where I had too many antibodies and nothing for them to fight. So they attacked themselves, basically. All right. And my pancreas stopped functioning. So I was like, well, shoot. <laughs> my Marine Corps is coming to an end. And then there in 2007, uh, I got out. On a, on a medical discharge and yep. decided to go pursue other ventures. Um, didn't really touch on making knives for a little bit or anything like that until probably about 2010 when I was like, okay, I, I finally rented a house. I had my own little backyard, started working on stuff. And I was like, I really need a good work knife because I was working in a warehouse at the time. And just kind of um, needed to use a lot of cutting stuff. And the little razor blade things that they gave us were kind of crap. And they said that we could have our own personal knives to, to use that if, it, if they worked good for that. So that's kind of where I started with making knives again. <clears throat> so you made your first knife when you were 17. And then out of necessity on the job, kind of decided you were going to start figuring out how to make your own for that work. Yes. <laughs> and uh it, it it became a kind of a hit i uh made a few knives for family and a couple of my coworkers and didn't really start like selling my knives to the public until 2016 when i bought my house down here in colorado springs and i approached nigel february uh, the founder of piper blade combatives uh and I was, I approached him basically said, Hey, I noticed, you know, like, you know, knives are becoming a big thing here again, like with Libre fighting systems, they have, they had a, a, a bladesmith make their first knife and stuff like that. I noticed you guys don't have a knife. Yeah. I would love to design you something. And he's like, okay, well, what do you got? And, uh, I showed him the first drawing for the mongoose knife, which is pretty much my, flagship knife and he immediately was like yes make this and we'll, we'll work something out and i was like all right i can do that uh give me a couple weeks here and i will make you one in steel i'll make one in titanium and i'll get them sent out to you so a couple weeks went by october rolled by and i made probably four or five initially and after i sent the two to nigel and it took nearly a month like it was like october 31st when it finally showed up at his door why hey, we were afraid that it got lost in the postal yeah got it, lost it, i had sent it yeah we thought <laughs> we thought it had gone it was completely awol but no it was just them being very slow having a you know, the post, the postal carriers there, I guess at the flight lions or whatever, Yeah. <laughs> whatever it may be. But when they showed up, he, he was like, this knife is, this knife is perfect. And just kind of rolled from there. And I'm like, awesome. Let's, let's see if we can get some more of these knives in your, uh, your people's hands so we can have a kind of a good standing with stuff. And then, uh, he did a, a video of him working with the knife and it just kind of went from there. Like everything just kind of launched from that point. And he started actually teaching me uh, Piper at that point, because I made myself a, a mongoose as well. Of course and you have to have your same, own mongoose, right? Yeah. I had to, I had to make my own. I wanted to start learning. Cause I got tired of using those shitty old copies. Like those things are crap. Uh, the first ones I got a hold of were just god awful. Um, it was 
maybe a week or two after that. I was like, I really would love to learn more about the system because I had I, seen it before. Like when I got out of the military, I was like looking for other martial arts systems and stuff like that, trying to get back into that kind of world. And I got shown some of Piper and stuff like that from the instructor I was with at the time. He was actually teaching me uh, Jeet Kune Do. Okay. Yep. And uh, he's like, hey, what do you think about this stuff? And we actually kind of started exploring uh, with Libre, kind of practicing the five pack and stuff like that. And then he's like, you know, this doesn't kind of seem to suit you. And I'm like, okay, he's like try doing this one. And, and you show me videos of Piper. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was really kind of where everything kind of went up from there. And that's, and everything else with the mongoose happened but yeah um actually being able to have that touching base with nigel and being able to learn from him really dialed in a few of my other knife designs that i created uh after the mongoose um the big one that kind of popped up after just the mongoose it was uh my honey badger knife and the meerkat knife those two suddenly just became something he really wanted to see more of. And that's kind of what I've, I've got now. So I have three Piper blades that are just all in to win it um, for that styling of things. They're great for the stab. They can work as an EDC knife if you really have to. I think the Mongoose still trumps both of them. In the, in the regard that it doesn't look like a fighting knife. Um, it's very simplistic, very utilitarian, and that's the way I made it, so that it could just blend in with a normal knife, and if you had to use it real quick, you could, just, you could. Uh, get into work and you know do what you have to. Um, another kind of big one that became a good fan, uh, that Nigel became a fan of a little bit, was the Hornet knife, which is my Warncliffe-style knife that can be held. I don't think I've seen the Hornet yet. Um, I need to yeah, look I have that one, one sitting on my, my bench. Yeah, the Hornet was actually one of my kind of uh, uh, secret squirrel knives because it's, it's a mean, mean little knife. Uh, if you looked on my Instagram, I think you might be able to see one. It's actually made of titanium. It has a red, red paracord, uh, handle wrapping uh, oh, on it. Yes, I have seen that one. Yep, I do remember it. Yep. Yeah. So you kind of got your right. start and then Piper kind of shaped the directionally where you took your blades. And so that was going to be part of my questioning is, you know, what's mm -hmm. the difference between Piper and Libre and traditional Filipino uh, blade work, blade handling, why is one preferred over the other, etc.? Um, for me personally, I, I, I definitely kind of jive on the same frequency as, uh, Nigel when it comes to knife combative stuff. Um, the way we, we, I mean, I, I, I share his philosophy that, um, you stab live flesh and you cut dead flesh. So a lot of what drew me more towards Piper than any of the other kind of stuff. I mean, yes, I practice a lot. I do a screamer and Kali and everything like that. Yeah. But that, that comes, that comes with JKD basically at this point. Um, I was more drawn to it because it was just hands down the most super effective method for me but it's a, it's not really a martial art it's a killing system yeah so with that in mind if i'm going to be pulling a knife to have to you know do something i'm not going to leave them alive that's where my head goes that's my mindset that's my own personal intent well um, you got to figure if you're in a situation where you need to be using a knife or feel like you need to go to a you know that level of force 
then, you know, much like they talk about in the firearm community, you know, you don't shoot to wound, you don't shoot warning side shots, you know, you stop the threat. So I imagine yeah. that applies when it goes comes to blade work, too. Yes, absolutely. And that's kind of where my my head is always going to gone with when it comes to personal self-defense in that regard. Like you react to the level of threat that's being presented. And I've, I've been in a few instances. I mean, I, I did some bouncing work. I, I worked as a bouncer at a couple bars and uh, some music venues. And anytime we had to deal with like really rowdy kind of people or stuff like that, or we had to keep an eye out on questionable folks, it was, you know, well, are they, are they just being drunk and angry? Are they, what, what kind of presentation are they giving to us? What is, what's making them stick out past the baseline right. of the crowds. So we would always gauge our things like that. I mean, yeah, a lot of the empty hand work, you know, comes into play, but at the same time, we're also sitting there like, look, <laughs> we're not gonna, you know, play, play 20 rounds with you to get you out of the, out of our space and get you from, you know, making things work more worse than what you know you've already done what they need to like be trying right? to clean up yeah, yeah. like trying to clean up uh you know someone who vomits it's like trying to clean up the mess but then suddenly you got this other idiot who's deciding to dance around and said vomit you're like okay no we're, we're not going to be playing this game you're going to go right so it's just being able to kind of dictate you know level of force how it's going to have to have to go and sometimes those guys, they're, they're, they're on more than just the alcohol that's being served. You know, it, it, it becomes a little more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So now we were talking ahead We've of had this. A few times. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Now I was we going to say, it just really kind of would just dictate how our actions go from there. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And we were talking before we did this recording and you had mentioned in passing that you had been stabbed. Tell us about that story. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the delightful time of when I was stabbed, I say this sarcastically. Well, now was that in was... context of your bouncing and whatever else, or was that completely unrelated? It was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first time I was stabbed, yes, it was totally in context of that. The first time. Um, Second time, it was guy tried to mug me and he swiped the knife at me. I'll, I'll tell you that here in a second. But yeah. uh, we had one gentleman who had uh, passed out at, at at the music venue we were at, and we we got a hold of the the paramedics there, and we were working alongside him trying to get the guy up and trying to get everything like that. And they they dosed the guy with Narcan because they could tell he was higher than a nice. You know, um, when he came to, he immediately started lashing out and nobody was paying attention properly. We were all just kind of like, okay, he's down and now he's awake. Okay, come on, dude, let's try to go. And then he had taken his knife out and he stabbed me in the side of my leg. Mm. It, and it was this crappy little, little, you know, gas station folder type thing. Chinese he folder. Me in the side right above, uh, yeah. Right above the knee. And I'm like, Oh, did he just punch me? What the hell is going on? Yeah. And then I looked down and I saw my my leg was bleeding. I was like, "What the hell?" And I saw he had a knife. And so he went from being conscious to unconscious again really quickly. Sure. <laughs> we took him out, and the the police were there. They they took him into custody. They asked me if I wanted to press charges. Like I won't press charges if his insurance will cover what has to happen to my leg. They're like, hey, he missed everything really vital. You got a nice inch and a half wide gash in your leg now because he stuck the bone. I'm like, okay. Mm, nice. So basically we're just going to bandage, bandage it up and call it a good. And they're like, yeah, pretty much. I'm like, okay. So that was my first time being stabbed. <clears throat> Second time being stabbed, I was out. I was just out being, being myself, not working, doing my own thing. Sat at a bar. And, uh, I ended up catching the guy's 
knife there on my forearm because I went to protect my face because he swung at me when I told him that he could go pound sand. And he's coming at me with a little paring knife, right? Mm-hmm. He, he, he got me decently across the top of my arm and it turned into kind of a defense, got cut, and then kind of turned into a fisticuffs things because when I hit him, he dropped his knife. And so it just kind of turned into a, a normal kind of fight thing. And I'm wailing on the dude. Apparently someone had seen the altercation happen. And then suddenly in a couple minutes, I mean, it was probably five minutes or something. I don't know. It felt like an eternity for me. I'm sure. <laughs> um, cops were all over us. They told me to get off him. I'm backing off. And they're like, whoa, dude, you're cut. I'm like, yeah, this guy just tried to mug me. I told him no. He, And then told him what happened. But So he already had the knife out. Yeah, it, 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 it escalated quickly, but he already had it. It just... He, he he went to punch you, but next thing you know, there's a knife involved. Yeah, he, he had the knife out, and he was actually trying to use it as an intimidating thing to tell me, you know, he's like, tell me, hey, give me your wallet type thing, and I told him he can go pound sound. Gotcha. And so he cut at me, Yeah. and that's where it kind of went from there, right? Yep. Kind of some super simple, super short, kind of kind of ridiculous, but I was you know, slightly drunk and just didn't care. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was, you know, so, I, we talked about that too. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, you know, we talk about the self-defense world. How do you stay out of these types of things in the first place? Right. And one guy woke up from yeah. a bad trip and got the drop on you because, you know, nobody saw the knife company. And the next time, a guy threatens you with a blade and actually is willing to use it. And, of course, you saw that one coming, but maybe didn't think that he was serious about it or it happened so fast. Oh, you are going to use the blade, right? But in both of those scenarios, what would you have done differently and what do you think could have happened to maybe not get cut? Sometimes it's unavoidable, right? But what would you have done differently, do yeah. you think? Honestly, with the guy who stuck me in the leg, probably should have just stepped back as soon as they administered the Narcan, but I, we were thinking that he was going to be docile and kind of, you know, we could just kind of get him up and get him out. Like, Hey man, you doing okay? We're just going to take you outside and kind of go from there and let them sort him out. But it escalated to what it did. Sure. I mean, it was really just kind of being aware of the situation. We really didn't have a whole lot of wiggle room in all honesty, but uh, the second one definitely could have been, me, you know, being a little more aware, but even then, I mean, walking, if you, if you're ever in Denver, there's like a certain hour, like right when the, the, the bars close, everyone's exiting the areas and kind of going like that. And I was already on foot. I wasn't like driving or anything. Yeah. I was, I actually was, my parents actually lived close enough to downtown Denver that I could walk. Sure. So I, I was. I I wasn't like sloppy drunk, but I wasn't fully engaged in looking at my surroundings because I had done the thing, done that walk a few times, didn't have have any worries, and so I figured it would be another night like that. Turned out I was just <laughs> mistaken. Yeah. The best way to put it, um, I would I would say that having good situational awareness, yeah, is is a main staple. I mean that's. If you're aware of people around you, you're probably able to kind of get a better idea of that, okay, I'm going to go this way and kind of avoid them or like get off their tracker, or kind of not appear to be as an easy target. Because the, the thing that kind of is kind of growing in downtown Denver, I mean, that area is, it, it's turned into a damn madhouse especially in the evening. So you really have to be on your A game. Paying attention. Eight, like getting out at night. Yeah. yeah. It's been I mean, several you're not years. Going now. like from the bar to the thing, yeah. like to a, to a car or taxi, Uber, whatever, and then going, then, you know, whatever. But if you're not being a group of people. <laughs> yeah. 
It's been several years since I've been out there. I have a buddy of mine that lived there for a number of years, and I'd go out every, sometimes every year, but probably every two or so and hang out, and we'd hit the bar district down there. And we never had any problems directly ourselves, but we were also making sure we stayed in the populated areas. And uh, But I do know that gangs were getting to be more and more of an issue. And of course, you know, I heard about some shootings or whatever, but um, I haven't been out there for yeah. some time. I've still got some people I know out that way, but um, it's probably like a lot of metropolitan areas, probably getting uh, to be rougher and rougher in some cases. Yeah, and the actual kind of dynamic of Denver is different than the rest of the state. Like you can have a concealed carry permit in the, in the city and county of Denver. However, you like, there's so many other regulations and law that basically say you can't carry it downtown. Uh, yeah. Probably <laughs> because of yourself. all the bars so and like, stuff. Oh uh, yeah. That was a big part of it. But like just even in general, I, my dad's been mugged twice. He works downtown and he couldn't have his, his own pistol on him. So he would just give his wallet to tell guys, get the F away, you know, or, you know, yeah. tell him to leave him alone. It's like, here, you got my wallet. And then he's immediately, you know, getting away from the scene and having to deal with those things. I mean, it, in the two times that it did happen, he was, you know, like jumped by two people, they both armed with guns, pointing them at his, at him, telling him to give him, his wallet phone and everything like that. So he, he, he chose the path of least, least resistance, which yep. I'm grateful that he did. <laughs> yeah. Cause if it was me, I'd be like, Oh no, we're going to brawl. Let's do this. But then again, that's just because I'm a, a stubborn ass Marine type. I mean, that's, that mindset never left me. Right. I'm a, I'm stubborn to the core and I'm, I'm okay with, dying but i'm going to take them with me but you know that's not that's not the best mindset to ever have in all honesty i mean even as a parent yeah uh, go home go home safe it it, it, yeah yeah it's far better to go home safe and intact and you know trying to stroke your ego well i think you know if i had to make a positive put that in a positive light for a moment. I think, you know, when it comes to self-defense, especially if you are presented the opportunity to use a blade or whatever mindset really is going to play an important part of that. And, you know, we, we talk about grit and having perseverance and, uh, you know, the, the ability to envision you making your, yourself, making it through a, a bad situation and coming out on the other side. I think that sort of mindset uh, can be positive for you. So kind of circling this back around to the using knives and self-defense scenarios, we've kind of talked about a couple of bad things oh, yeah. that have happened to you. And, you know, some common commonalities are is you need to maintain that situational awareness like you do the rest of the time. They can come on fast. They can be used and you not even realize it initially. And one thing that I heard years ago, and maybe you can confirm or deny, but if I had to summarize it, I was told years ago that if someone's got a knife, especially if they pull you, pull a knife on you and you see them got that knife and pull it on you, they're probably more willing to use it than the next guy. And that's something you need to be pretty aware of, too. I, I heard that years ago. I don't even oh, remember yeah. who told me that. But if they're willing to carry a knife and if they've got it drawn on you, they're probably willing to use it on you, too. And that's something that, you know, you got to be prepared for. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but apparently for- that, that guy that I got into the thing with, he had been wanted for more than like a dozen armed armed robbers. And he actually did stab one of the guys. He wasn't that, afraid. Yeah. Like full full blown. Yeah, he like put the guy in the hospital kind of stab. Like he was he was ready to rock and roll. So yeah. poor judgment on on my end, obviously, but we go right back to the thing. It's uh intent. Yeah. If you have intent, you will do it. your mindset says yay or nay that fight, flight or freeze if you want to play the play that card a little bit, but it's yeah. It's all about the intent, whether or not you're willing to go that extra mile. It's like, no, you're not taking what I've earned or 
here, you can have it, I can replace it. Yeah. It, it all kind of comes down to that kind of thought process, I think. Yeah. You know, the thing about knives and playing with knives, and especially if you're going to use a knife, hopefully for good, you know, defending yourself, which is what we're talking about here, is that it's a very personal activity, right? You've got to be very close. It's not long or longer range like a firearm might be if you're opting to carry that or even something as, you know, um, I say benign, but something less lethal like OC spray where you've got some distance. Knives are very, very personal. I mean, you got to be up close and up front and it's going to be messy. Um, what is really oh, yeah. the viability of, you know, I always emphasize training when it comes to whether it's, it's, it's empty hand or firearms, but I assume it's going to be the same sort of thing for blades, but what is the viability of average Joe or average Mary opting to carry a knife? And what advice would you give them if they're going to opt to carry a blade as a, maybe not their primary go-to, but just as an option, what should they be thinking about? What should they be aware of and what should they keep in consideration in the back of their mind? If they're going to try to use a blade for self-defense. Well, first off, Study your local state laws. Like, that's a huge thing. Uh, know your know the laws in regards to a fixed blade or a folder, whatever the laws are for where you're at. Know the laws. It, 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 it's the same even with like, if you're carrying a gun. You're right. um, know, those, know those laws and understand what implications come with using them in a self-defense situation. So if you're going to be, say, carrying three-inch blade, we'll just make it kind of a general thing here, be it a folder or fixed blade, say you're carrying that three-inch blade with you everywhere you go, and it's perfectly legal, everything like that, but then the second you use it on someone because they were trying to rob you or abduct you or whatever the situation may be, um, my advice would be to understand that when you use that weapon you need to actually it's not even a weapon it's a tool because sure your mindset's going to be the one that dictates <laughs> that that's right there that mind is your your actual weapon it's a tool to understand that there's going to be the fight on the street and then there's going to be the fight in the courtroom right. but when you you know like when you feel it in your bones you're like i don't want to die and they're presenting that like they're going to try to kill you and you get them first, then understand your fight's not over. Yep. Like, when you, when you initiate and apply that killer intent, you're going to have to have more than one fight. Or if you're lucky and you got one bad dude, you weren't sure if he died or not, but you were able to get away and, you know, find help or anything like that. And then they find the guy dead somewhere else. Be like, Hey, yeah, he attacked me. I felt a general <laughs> danger to my well-being and my life. And I acted accordingly. And you understand it's like, yes, this is what I used. Or if you ditch it, be like, I, and if the guy didn't have a knife or anything on him, when they found him dead, you'd be like, yeah, I took his knife from him and stabbed him. And I ran away through the knife somewhere and in my, in my haste yeah, or however you want to phrase it, you know, kind of building that kind of thing. Yeah. So and- that it's always going to be <laughs> more than one uh, kind of altercation you have to worry about. Yeah. And so that's the common thing. I think what we're saying between if you opted to use a blade in self-defense or a firearm, that is a commonality they both share because, Uh, We say that all the time in the firearms community, know your local laws, know that even if you get through from a criminal perspective, assuming you've met the reasonable man jury uh, criteria that they use to judge the outcome, uh, that you're likely going to have to deal with civil. And, you know, if you get up and run away, that's great. But you should also probably be the one to call 911 and just know that saying I feared for my life is not just an automatic get out of jail card. You're still going to have to go through that reasonable man jury. 
uh, and meet all, or address all the criteria that they have for that. And we're not trying to give legal advice here, but the point is, is that legalities and being certain that you can respond the way you need to and understand what the legal ramifications are and what you should do um, is is very important. So I think that's some great advice, uh, certainly. Uh, what other things should they yeah. be prepared for if they opt to use blades in self-defense? Be prepared for a lot of blood. Uh, yeah, the obvious. Be prepared yeah. for that level of gore. Yeah. Um, that's a great point. Because as soon as you, as soon as you step, like you can, you and I say we could get into a fist fight, but the second one of us deploys a knife, you are immediately changing the, that person's bodily condition. Say, cause you can get into a fist fight and wake up the next day and be like, yeah, whatever. I was in a fist fight. But as soon as you stab someone else, you are immediately decreasing their value of life. You're causing them to bleed. So it's just like um, having oil in a motor. Yep. When all the oil runs out, it stops. Yep. Right? So and be prepared it, it, for a lot of blood. And it comes fast and it happens quickly if you've done your job right. Oh, yeah. Um, I know there's plenty of medical... Uh, documentations on how exsanguination works on people in an average. Sometimes it's quicker, sometimes it takes longer. But yeah, uh, at the end of the day, exsanguination is exsanguination. Be prepared for that kind of mess, and you may even lose your knife because your hands get wet. Yeah, yeah, that's and another. It may good turn point into too. a whole other. And a whole other kind of situation, say you stuck the guy a couple of times, your hands are covered in blood and say you get cut too in that section too. Cause that's another thing. When the knife is involved, whether you're the one who's using it or they are always be prepared to be either cut or stabbed as well. Yeah. You and know, it's never going to be in a dueling kind of fashion. It's going to be in an ambush or counter ambush. Yeah. Back so and forth. Have that kind yeah. of, have that kind of understanding with it yeah that's a really good point too um you know i've done a, a tiny bit of knife defense in my uh limited krav maga experience and that's the one thing that fortunately a lot of instructors do a good job in emphasizing is look if you get into a knife fight or you get into a brawl where a knife's involved you can just assume you're going to get cut it's about how little you get away with being cut <laughs> But if a knife gets involved, you're probably going to get cut. It doesn't matter who you are. Uh, on a on a re on a related note, I heard this years ago, and I hear things, and I remember the things I hear. But the problem with me is, as I never remember who first said them to me or where I heard it. But I remember, uh, I think I was actually reading a forum, and it may have been Krav related, or I may have just been reading miscellaneous uh, martial arts forums as I've done over the years. But uh, a gentleman said, he said something, in fact, and I can't quote exactly, but he said, there's no such thing as a knife expert, a knife fighting expert, because if there were, there, they would yeah, probably all true. be dead. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I 100% I agree. Uh, when it comes to having those kind of engagements, you really want to limit how many of them you have. Because in one way or another, like we just said, if you're in a knife fight, you prepare to get cut or stabbed. Yeah. It happens even with people who are very well-versed with a knife. Yeah. Um, you can be on that receiving end and it would be your last. So there's some guys who step away from everything like that and try to do their very best not to get into those situations because they've seen it enough or they've killed enough people to, to know that this isn't something where you come out on top. Yeah. You have to kind of understand your limitations as a person, mentally, physically, emotionally, everything. And you have to know when to, when it is good to step away from that kind of lifestyle. Cause if it starts becoming very normal for you and you just have no care in the world of how 
your engagements go or anything like that, you need to step away. And, but you don't. That's where that's that's when you get complacent and you die. Well, hopefully you're in self-defense scenarios. You're avoiding being in repetitive scenarios where those sorts of things are happening on an ongoing or regular basis anyway. But that's certainly a good point. If you do get to that yeah. point, you're visiting the same roughneck bar every weekend and getting cut every other month uh, and you haven't decided to back away and not visit that bar again, then you do need to keep yourself in check. And if you're not backing away for the normal reasons you should be, then maybe that's cause to consider uh, a lifestyle change if nothing else so if if someone yeah, the uh, again we're talking about the average joe and average mary here possibly um and we've mm. gotten past you know we're comfortable or just have accepted the legal uh, ramifications about using deadly force using a blade you know the normal and it doesn't really change between using a knife or a gun it's that escalated force it's the uh, level of force being used and the type of damage that level of force can be used if we're comfortable with that we think we're okay with blood we're okay being close we're okay with the fact that i'm probably not going to see or fill a knife initially and i still think i want to include it maybe it's my primary go-to tool but certainly maybe a, a, a secondary, you know, all of us guys carry a folder in our pockets around the clock like most guys should. Um, what what would you get? What advice would you give for someone starting out? Now, I know you make knives, but what's a good option some, for someone? Should they really rely on a folder? Should they carry a fixed if they think they want to? What um, What's a good place to I'm start? I'm a little biased. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a little biased in that regard. You don't have any folders, I, do you? <laughs> no, I do not. I I am not a very big supporter of folding knives because just like in any anything, there's gross motor skills, fine motor skills. Yeah, that's so, an excellent point too. And folders your... require some fine motor skill. <laughs> yeah, just like holding your knife tip up, that is something that is taught. Yeah. It is not something that is hereditary because like even as infants, we, we will grasp something and it'll be tipped down no matter what it is because that is the most natural. That is what our DNA dictates. That's what our programming is on that level. So being more towards a, a fifth blade, gross motor skill, really yeah. easy to deploy. And that's an excellent point because I've always heard or generally heard that fixed is the way to go. But the point of, you know, remembering that when you're under stress and you've got that heart rate go up and that adrenaline dump out, you've got tunnel vision, you have auditory exclusion and your fine motor skills go out the window. So you're not going to be able to get that little thumb knot on that nice uh, little folder you've got in your pocket. That that's a good point yeah. for fixed in the first place. Yeah. And even then, if you have like the Emerson wave type kind of things where you can pull it and it automatically deploys, you still have that ratchet. That thing can fail. That's one of my biggest reasons why I hate the Okapi knife, because that ratchet will fail. But that's also a big reason why a lot of those gangsters would have it edge in and tip down. So they're relying on that gross motor skill being tipped down being able to do the hammer fist type motion, stuff like that. Yeah. And if that blade fails, when you stick something, it's going to crank. Basically, you're going to be going from having a straight piece to yep. suddenly like a 90 degree angle or something like that. It's going to bend away from you if it, if that locking mechanism fails. Yep. Fold back so, on you and then you've <laughs> done yourself some damage. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, having it, go go its way i mean you're gonna have the deal <laughs> with you know oh crap i just cut myself instead and my knife doesn't work anymore so folders i don't i don't prescribe to them at all <laughs> Fair enough. i will stick with my 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 fixed blades because it's instant ready to go and the second it's out of sheath it's it's an action yeah it doesn't matter if it's edge in edge out it's doesn't there. matter 
And you don't have to think about cutting your fingers uh, yep. so much, at least with it collapsing back on you anyway. Yeah. And if it cuts your fingers, it means you didn't grab your handle tight enough. Right. <laughs> kind of having that thought too. Um, you deploy things with all that adrenaline, everything going on, and the fine motor skill goes out the window. Yeah. I know you can cut somebody a bunch, but they're going to still be whatever percentage combat effective against you if you're having to use your knife to defend yourself. Still takes, even if um, you got them good, why, it still takes several minutes for them to bleed out. Yeah. And that's why if you're, if you're going in to stab, because what I've seen and learned from other things like Libre, Kali, and stuff like that, they'll, they like to cut the arteries, cut tendons, do a lot of ripping motions and, you know, target non-primary organs. I mean, you'll go for kidney, liver, eyes, and stuff like that too, which is all fine and dandy. That's, I absolutely think it's great. If it works for you, then absolutely do it. But with, with Piper that I've learned, we have one target and it's the heart. Everything else is tertiary. Sure. When it comes to an engagement. Yeah. Well, it's finding the... Stop the motor. An inch or two right below the, the left nipple or right into the side. Yeah. You go between the fourth and fifth intercostal space, leads you right to the heart. There you go. Or you just stab straight in into there or right above the clavicle or below the clavicle into uh, subclavian artery. Sure. Causes very rapid exsanguination. Yeah. That massive trauma and it that we decreases talked about. That, yep, and it decreases that time. Uh, you have to wait for your threat to not be a threat. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's like firearm training, martial arts, whatever. It's about finding the school you're most comfortable with and philosophies or approaches that, you know, set the light bulbs off to you or resonate with, with you and what you're trying to do. Uh, just in thinking about wrapping things up here, what would be at this point, we've talked about a lot of different things. What would be your number one pointer for someone considering uh, having or and or more importantly, using a blade for self-defense, would you say? Be prepared to use it. I think that's like one of the biggest things right there, because if you're not prepared to use what you have to defend yourself or those, defend those around you, don't carry it. If you don't feel comfortable with applying that level of force to preserve yourself or someone else, don't don't step into that into that ring. Don't do what many people have is when like, yeah, I, I can I'll carry a gun with me and people will leave me alone. No, that's not the no. case at all. So I mean having having the tool and not having the willingness to use said tool will get you hurt or killed. Yeah. I think so, that's a, another that excellent point you've made. Know, know the legal ramifications and know whether or not you're going to be willing to use it. Cause if you're not, you don't need to be doing it in the first place. And, you know, those are two common, not only of great pieces of advice for, you know, knife handling, but uh, it's the two things that are definitely in common with the firearms world as well. So that's good stuff. Uh, how can they find you if they want yeah. to know more about Silverline? Because I've got one of your mongooses. Right. I still my favorite fixed blade. I love that thing. A little strobbing I did with it, and it's uh, I've cut myself more than once. It's sharp. It's good stuff. Uh, where can they find you? Yeah, it, it yeah, was. Fu it's um, funny now. It wasn't time. It. it wasn't at the time I did it. Oh, well, don't feel too bad. I've cut myself more than I care to mention with my knives. I mean, other than occupational hazard, but just even in, in training sure. how to use my weapon. Yeah. Or a tool. <laughs> I call it a tool. Um, you guys can actually find me on Silverline underscore knife underscore designs on Instagram, or you can just type up Silverline knife designs on Facebook and you can find me on there. I have a uh, users and collectors page on there as well. When it comes to, to getting a specific model you just got to let me know if you want something custom we can talk about it i have quite a few 
knives right now that are are in various stages of being complete and my my prices kind of are kind of fixed right now and I'm not going to lower my price but I'm not extravagantly expensive I'm I like to say that I'm very affordable I think based on a lot of the custom blades that are out there on the market your price is very reasonable for for what you're getting I'll say that yeah I was just going to say yeah I I I, I try to make a, a a good good knife for you know the common folk. <laughs> yep. If it if it costs over three hundred bucks, you're not going to use it as often, right? And I like to have my my knives in people's hands that will use them. Well, if you're like me, I'm afraid yeah, to to nice. I'm afraid to use and and uh, mess up anything super expensive. So a knife I like to use. So uh, it it's it's great. Yeah. So, Nathan, this has been great. I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Hopefully, uh, people can make a decision for themselves whether or not a blade is something they want to consider in their self-defense tool arsenal, um, whether or not they think it's something they can do or are prepared to do. But I think we've had a good talk, and I appreciate you coming on here. Yeah, thank you again for having me on. Uh, I really, really appreciated it, and uh I'm glad that I was able to uh, answer some questions that you had, and uh, hopefully more folks will uh, approach either you or myself uh, for any further questions that they may have. I mean, I'm, absolutely, like, we touched on quite a few topics here, so I'm always I'm always one for uh, going more in depth with folks if they really want a more in depth answer. Yeah. Um, I'm available pretty much 24/7. I I tend to work 20 hour days when I'm in my shop anyway, so sure. You guys can always reach me at any time. Well, this has been great, you guys. Uh, thanks so much, Nathan, and uh, be sure to check out Silverline Knife Designs. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Absolutely.